Chapter 39 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1 by Knut Gershet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 39 The Downfall of Viking Dominion in Ireland, the Battle of Clontarf. The final overthrow of the Vikings in Ireland is connected chiefly with the name of Brian Boroma, the greatest of Irish kings. Murchatach had fought with great success against the strangers, but he fell in 944 in a battle with the Vikings of Dublin. Brian's older brother, McGowan, king of Munster, carried on an unsuccessful struggle against the Vikings of southwestern Ireland, and was compelled to make peace, but Brian refused to yield. He withdrew with his followers into the forests, and from his retreats he carried on a successful guerrilla warfare against the enemy. The struggle waxed more serious, and King Ivar of Limerick finally took the field with all available forces, but was defeated by McGowan in 968. Limerick was taken and sacked by the Irish king, who captured great quantities of gold, silver, fine cloth, and other valuable wares which the Norsemen had brought home to their city through commerce with many lands. After some time, the Vikings again succeeded in regaining possession of the town, but the redoubtable Brian, who upon the death of his brother McGowan had become king of Munster, defeated and slew King Ivar and his sons, and Limerick became a dependency of Munster under Brian's overlordship. Melsignal, king of Tara, also styled Ardri, or High King of Erin, Inspired by Brian's successes, attacked King Olaf Kvaran in 980, defeated him in the Battle of Tara in Meath, and even seized the city of Dublin. Brian and Melsignal had hitherto been rivals, but in 998 they came to a friendly understanding. Brian became king of southern Ireland, and in return acknowledged Melsignal ruler of the northern half. The hitherto independent Leinster now joined the Norsemen of Dublin, but their united forces were defeated by the two kings in the bloody Battle of Glenmama where 1,200 Norsemen are said to have fallen. Olaf Kvarn's son and successor, Sigtrig Silkbeard, had to flee, but on submitting to Brian he received again the throne of Dublin as a vassal king. Malsignal was deposed as Ardri, and Brian became high king of all Ireland. The life of the Norsemen had undergone a great change during their long stay in Ireland. They were no longer mere invaders dwelling in military camps. The occupations of trade and traffic had especially absorbed their attention, and they had settled down to a peaceful and well-regulated urban life in the cities which they had built or developed. Dublin, Waterford, Wexford, Cork, and Limerick had become important centers of trade, and the Norsemen, who were ever fond of seafaring, now spread their sails chiefly as enterprising merchants who sought the markets of Chester, Bristol, France, and Spain, of the countries around the Baltic Sea, and even of distant Novgorod, where they brought home to Ireland such valuable goods as wheat flour, costly embroidered mantles, swords, furs, and wine. A part of the tribute which they had to pay the victorious Brian Barama, according to a contemporary Irish poet, MacLeague, was 150 butts of wine from the Norsemen of Dublin, and a tune of wine for every day in the year from the Norsemen of Limerick. This tribute of wine, says Alexander Buga, presupposes a considerable trade with southwestern France, as the place where anyone from Ireland might most easily obtain this wine. In the Glossary of Cormac, from about 900, mention is made of a vessel for measuring wine spoken of in the Sea Laws. This can only refer to Norse Sea Laws, as neither the Franks nor the Irish were seafaring nations, and it seems to indicate that already at this time the Norsemen had a maritime code. The many terms of weight and measure and money, such as Pundar, Bismari, Merk, Penegar, and naval terms as Knorr, Karfi, Leidanger, Lipting, Stirimadr, Thilia, and Thopta, which have been incorporated in the Irish language, 
show that the development of trade and commerce in Ireland was due to the Norsemen. The Viking cities in Ireland were surrounded by stone walls. In Dublin, the royal castle, with its formidable stone tower, was conspicuous in the center of the city. Another prominent building was the temple, erected for the worship of the gods of the Asa faith. But at this time, paganism was fast disappearing. The Norsemen were being converted to Christianity, and the temples were replaced by Christian churches. It has already been noted elsewhere that King Olaf Kvarn of Dublin became a Christian in his old age, and died as a monk on the island of Iona. His son and successor, Sigtrig Silkbeard, was married to Brian Barama's daughter, and his court resembled in every way that of Canute the Great in England. In his herd were found both Icelandic skalds and Irish bards, who vied with each other in the art of song, and great splendor was maintained in dress and accoutrements of war. The king's herdmen, equipped with helmets and shirts of mail, fought on horseback like William the Conqueror's mounted knights, but King Sigtrig himself lacked the warlike spirit to such a degree that he did not even take part in the great battle of Clontarf. Fought beneath the very walls of Dublin, but stood with his queen on the battlements of the city and watched the great combat as an idle spectator. The Norse system of laws and government was introduced also in the Norse colonies in Ireland. In Dublin, the Thing was regularly assembled at a place known throughout the Middle Ages by the name of Thingmata, the meeting place of the Thing. A Ligretta, consisting of 36 members, of whom 12 seemed to have acted at a time, was chosen to act as a tribunal in deciding cases brought before the Thing. This institution so impressed the Irish that they called the Norsemen the Twelve Judges Tribe. But the Irish were also benefited in no small degree. Ireland had hitherto never experienced such a period of progress in commerce and navigation, in the building of cities, and the development of urban life, wholly due to the enterprise and activity of the practical Norsemen who possessed less lovable but more distinctly masculine qualities. The old writer Geraldus Cambrensis says that the Norsemen were allowed to build cities in Ireland on condition that they should bring to Ireland from other lands the merchandise which the Irish wanted. Norse influence had left a deep traces, also, in Irish literature and intellectual life. Professor Alexander Bugge says that many of the Irish mythical conceptions have been formed under the influence of the Norsemen. In speaking of Irish literature, he says, Professor Zimmer, by his admirable investigations, has thrown fresh light upon the ancient Irish sagas, and has shown in how many ways they are interwoven with Norse elements and reminiscences from the Viking Age. But we see that the Norse influence on Gaelic tradition and storytelling is not confined to the Viking Age. A recollection of the Norsemen has been retained for centuries, and down to the present time Lachlan, Norway, still plays a very conspicuous part in Irish and Gaelic ballads and fairy tales. Though a spirit of hostility naturally prevailed between the Irish and the Norsemen, a quiet amalgamation was nevertheless going on which would ultimately have led to the complete absorption of the Norse element. Not infrequently, the two peoples would meet as good friends and neighbors in convival gatherings, and many Norse loanwords in the Irish language relating to social life show that in daily intercourse they were coming into closer touch. The Norsemen would often select Irish foster fathers and foster mothers to rear their children, but still more important was the growing frequency of intermarriage. Had the process of amalgamation, with the attendant blending of the traits characteristic of both peoples, been allowed to proceed uninterrupted, it might have produced a national character of the right temper to carry Ireland successfully through all future struggles. But the possibility of such a solution of the difficult situation was to a great extent removed by the Battle of Clontarf. The Norsemen, who after the defeat at Glenmama were sinking into a state of dependency, could not, as in earlier days, lean on the mother country for support. But there were numerous Viking settlements around the Irish Sea, and the powerful Jarl Sigurd Lodvason in the Orkneys, 
and the people elsewhere in the colonies felt the necessity of cooperation at so critical a juncture, since the overthrow of Norse dominion in Ireland would weaken the Viking power everywhere in the West. When King Sigtrygg Silkbeard came to the Orkneys to solicit aid, Jarl Sigurd promised to bring an army to Ireland. The Viking chieftain Broder also promised to support him. About the middle of March, a great Viking armament began to gather before Dublin. Ships and warriors came from the Orkneys, the Shetland Islands, Caithness, and the Hebrides, and from the Norse settlements on the coast of Scotland, Cumberland, and Wales. They were joined by the men of Leinster, and by the Norse forces raised in Ireland, except those of Limerick, who were now King Brian's subjects, and joined his standards. Brian had collected a large army, and Malsignal also came to his aid with a considerable force. On Good Friday, April 23, 1014, the two armies met at Clontarf, a little village lying a short distance north of Dublin, and here was fought the last great battle of the Viking Age, generally known as the Battle of Clontarf, but in the Norse songs and traditions it is usually called the Brian Battle. The right wing of the Viking army was led by Broder. In the center stood Sigurd Ludvison and Melmora, the king of Leinster, with their forces. The left wing was formed by the men of Dublin. Brian's son Murchad led the Irish left wing against Broder, and his grandson Tortelbach, the Kertjalfad of the sagas, commanded the center. On the right wing stood the Viking chieftain Uspak and the men of Connacht. Brian, who was now a very old man, was present in the field of battle, but did not lead the army in person. From morning till evening the combat raged with unabated fury, and the men fell on both sides like a field of grain that is being harvested. But towards evening the Viking right wing gave way, and Broder fled with his men into the forest of Thor, in the neighborhood of Dublin. On their retreat they accidentally found King Brian, who was too feeble to participate in the battle, and had been left there almost unguarded. He was pointed out to Broder, who slew him with his battle-axe, but Broder was soon after killed by his pursuers. Soon Sigurd Ludvison also fell in a fierce dash against Magduna, where Brian was staying. And in the melee, Murchad was also mortally wounded. The Norsemen were now thrown into complete rout. Their retreat was cut off except towards the sea, and great numbers were slain in the headlong flight which ensued. According to the Ulster annals, Brian's army lost 4,000 men and the Norsemen 7,000. Nearly all the prominent leaders of both armies lay dead upon the field. Besides Broder and Sigurd Ludvison, the Norsemen had also lost Dugald Olofsson, who led the men of Dublin, and Melmora, king of Leinster, a brother of King Sigtrygg Silkbeard's Irish mother, Gormflech, the Cormlid of the sagas. The Irish had lost Brian, Merchad, and Turlach, Brian's grandson. Many omens are said to have preceded the Battle of Clontarf. The most noteworthy is the frightful vision described in the Darad song in the Njal saga, in which Darad, at Caithness in Scotland, on the day of the battle saw twelve Valkyries weave the web of the bloody conflict at Clontarf with human entrails on a loom of swords and spears. The song contains this remarkable prophecy, which for Ireland has become but too true. Those will now rule the land who formerly had the naked headlands for a home. Such sorrow shall come to the Irish people, as men shall never forget. The Battle of Clontarf had no very noteworthy immediate results. Melsignal succeeded Brian as High King of Ireland, but Dublin was not captured, and the Norsemen continued to occupy the same cities and territories as heretofore. They devoted themselves very extensively to commerce, and retained their laws and national customs. When the English began their conquest of Ireland in 1170, Norse commerce still flourished there. At the capture of Waterford, a Norse ship was taken in port, laden with wheat and wine. 
As late as 1292, we still hear of the wine trade of the Norsemen at Waterford. The English expelled the original inhabitants from the cities which they captured, and assigned them quarters outside the old towns. This is the origin of the Ostman town, Oxman town, of Dublin and Waterford. The Norsemen chafed under such oppression, and when King Haakon Haakonsson of Norway came to Ireland with a fleet, in 1263, they sent messengers to him asking him to deliver them from the English yoke. This is the last mention of any attempt on their part to maintain relations with the mother country. Their saga in Ireland was ended. But although the Norsemen continued to live and thrive in Ireland so long after their defeat at Clontarf, their power was nevertheless destroyed in this great battle, and in others immediately preceding it. Their leaders were gone, and their fighting force was annihilated. Henceforth they existed as isolated settlements, unable to unite in a common effort or to exercise any influence on the trend of events in Ireland. The Irish had won a notable victory, and had regained full control of affairs in their own country, but this display of strength was due to a single great leader, Brian Baruma. No one was able to continue his work, the customary feuds between the native princes were renewed, and Ireland quickly lapsed into the old confusion. Clontarf was a brilliant feat of Irish arms, but in the light of subsequent history it must be regarded as a calamity rather than as a national victory. This overwhelming defeat of the Norsemen weakened Ireland's sinews of strength, and when the English conquest began, the Irish showed no greater ability to repel foreign invasion than they had done several centuries earlier when the Vikings bore down upon the island. End of chapter 39